<laughs> Guy passed by here in person and had it on those two zeros. He was spitting mad when he saw it there's offer, and he wasn't flattered. He said, a measly thousand bucks for me is much too little. I'm worth a lot more than that. <laughs> That's right, he said that. And then he added the zeros on the thousand. <laughs> there isn't anyone got the guts to face that killer, eh? <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 230 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm Rebecca and as always joined by my fellow co-hosts Chris and Dave and also for this series we are joined by our extra special film music expert host Charlie Brigden. How are you all doing? Good evening folks. Good evening everyone. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for waiting everybody. Sorry we've not recorded since July. Yeah it's, it's, it's our regular pattern of doing one that, one every four months. <laughs> and every six months. Well no it's not even that is it? We do, we do we take like three or four months where it looks like it looks must look to people like we've given up and then we'll just do be super regular for about four months and then it'll happen again. It'll happen again. No life just got it's in the Chris's way fault. like various things have happened. Chris what, bas- yeah, what basically happened is Chris saw a naked woman earlier this year and we're all still paying the price. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah pretty much I went Pre- on holiday it, it, we've had a good time it's been alright yeah, yeah. Um, no no but basically like, who, who'd have thought having um, a newborn baby in the, in the house would uh, take up your time that's, that's pretty much it's funny how that happens really yeah, yeah you know when you've got a, when, when you've got balanced out and a, a full time job on top of that you know it's it gets a bit like I don't know you don't really like you, you, you I th- I, yeah, it's what, what doesn't what takes you by surprise is like you think yeah it's fine you know it's you know it can't be you know you can take two hours of your, of, of your week <laughs> and all of a sudden you're quite busy surely you can you can watch you, movie, girl, you, can, job, you can and wa- you change jobs as well you can watch movie while you know like ha- handling a baby it's it's fine it's like you know you know you'd be you'd be surprised how much time it takes up yeah. um I mean, and I'm like, sure nope, I'm, I'm sure Charlie will. To be a testament to that, but um, yeah, oh, no, yes. it, it, you, yeah, it, it's, and it's, it's not just that; it's like the sleep, you, you know, it's getting up, yeah. doing, doing feeds, you know, like, yeah, especially, especially in the beginning, especially, it's not, it's not so bad now because um, it's a bit more settled, bit more so of a speak. pattern, yes, a bit more routine, yeah. Once yeah. you sort of get that down and um, you get used to it, then it's like right, okay. But, yeah. Well, it could be worse because a lot of new parents are like baby obsessed. You you could have demanded we did three men and a baby or something as the next, show. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then like that well, fucking film well, with Dr. Keaton and a baby and well, so on. I've, God. I've just realised I haven't even shown you guys any new pictures. So like you know I'm not one of these, so obviously I'm not been one of those um, dads who goes like no you hey haven't. have you seen my baby have you seen my baby like. <laughs> No, and consciously, actually, to be fair, in, in the nicest possible way, we all still talk to each other, but we've more or less lived, left Chris alone because we didn't really want mm. to start 
the trouble is, even if you just say hi, he might think, is he? Are they just trying to like get me to record something? And it's like, leave him alone for a couple of months. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we weren't trying to get onto or anything. Obviously, yeah. just make, you know, checking every then, making sure you're okay. Obviously, because of being being premature, one thing or another. But yeah, we, we don't want to kind of needlessly harass you, definitely. So, yeah. so Chris was premature, but she still got pregnant anyway. But no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, the baby was premature. premature. Sorry, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Chris might be premature. I don't know. Yeah. No, I was late apparently when I. Uh... Oh, he's too he's too busy to come out. He was like, "No, I'm just going to hang in here a bit longer." Cr- Cr- Chris missed the joke there. <laughs> he thought he, <laughs> made, thought he meant his own. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> but um, well, yeah. obviously not. <laughs> no, quite clearly not. No, <laughs> he's back on time. So, um, for those who have forgotten or listened to it a very long time ago, we're continuing with our uh, quest to do all the westerns on the basis that only about half a dozen were ever made. <laughs> um, so, what are we covering tonight, Becca? Tonight, yes, we are getting back in the saddle for our Dollars trilogy, a um, bit called the Blood Bunny trilogy, the Mabino Name trilogy. So, previously, many moons ago, we reviewed Fistful of Dollars. Tonight, we finally get onto the middle of this section for a few dollars more. Starring, this is going to be a long list, just go on IMDb and check it out yourself. Um, Clint Eastwood, <laughs> Lee Van Cleef, Klaus Kinski, Jan Maria Valenti, and other names that I have to mangle. Um, this amazing score by Ennio Morricone, um, script by Sergio Leone, Fulvio Morsella, Luciano Vincentoni, and many more, directed by Sergio Leone, released in 1965. Apologies uh, for that... mangling all the names. I, I can only apologise. <laughs> so I, I just appreciate you did a Italian accent for one of them. <laughs> yeah, you okay, did cut. Okay, you did go a bit sick of one of the names. <laughs> but um, the only the, the one thing we we mentioned in the without wanting to step all over the facts, to just the one thing I'll bring up at the start is is we mentioned last time. I think I asked Charlie, and and Charlie was a bit non-committal on it because I I think it's debatable whether Clint Eastwood is playing the same character in all three films, mm. and actually there's a definitive answer that isn't definitive. And the reason I say that is there was a lawsuit because uh, for whatever reason, Leone, Charlie may know this better than me, but Leone fell out with the previous producers, produced with a different team this time, Alberto Grimaldi, and was sued for ownership of the character. And he argued, well, he argued it was a different character and the judgment more or less said that the, the, the idea of a sort of stranger coming into town, a man with no name, if you will, is kind of a trope character. So yeah. no, it's not really owned as such. But then you'll read um, synopses of the film that will say things like 18 months after the events of A Fistful of Dollars. <laughs> well, it's the same character, isn't it? Is it yeah, is it, is it uh, the same? Because he's, he's, after all, like, I mean, he does have, he has different names in each of the different yeah, films. Yeah, he's Joe in the first one. Yeah, he's Joe, Blondie, and whatever his Mango name is. Or like it was the man with no name sort of thing, but it's so, loosely. I would kind of say it's loosely the same character, spiritually same the same character. But but, but the, the jury's out on it for various reasons. Yeah. So yeah, there was a bit of a there was a bit of a sort of hoo ha around this. But having said that, everything just moved so much quicker back then. I mean, we we remember Bond films were coming out one a year at this time. They managed to get the film out and have a lawsuit in between and still they, get it they, out they were busy. Later. Oh, how times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it normally stops produ- production in its uh, in its tracks. But um, as with the, the first film, obviously delayed in the United States, they didn't see it for a couple of years. 
Um, and I suppose the first thing to before we go into like what happened to quality, what we think of it, of anything was, I was very surprised to see Klaus Kinski pop up. I completely yeah. got he was in it. Uh, obviously, a career of his own. Don't get me wrong, but probably known to slightly younger audiences as the father of Nastasia Kinski. Um, I think if you're a fan of like German cinema or German expressionist cinema, then you'll be familiar um, with Kinski, Fitzcarraldo, things like that. I think the only other thing I'd like to say up front is we've had conversations before, largely when we talk about Bond, but I mean, the, the poster boy example is the governor of the Bank of England in Goldfinger, who's about 38 and looks about 62. Do you remember, yeah. you know that guy? Um, yeah. Richard something. Yeah, he, um, he appears in um, A Hard Day's Night as well. Yeah. Um, well, Lee Van Cleef uh, was 30. Uh, sorry, 40. He was 40 when this comes out and, and he looks mid to late 50s <laughs> well yeah uh, we were having this we were having this discussion on one of the various days on radio threads that i'm a part of as well they're saying like like i think he was only a couple of years older than connery when goldfinger came out or something like that there wasn't very much between them in terms of age but he looks like 60 yeah, or he, something he was like born in 1925 or something like that but it was late in the year so the chances are he was still in his 30s filming this yeah but he looks a lot older and we think um, that people obviously aged differently well not differently but all perceptions of age were certainly different to what they are now obviously so some, some of Things it is bald in grey, which isn't technically sort of age no. related. Or it could be makeup. You, you, you make can go bouldering. Well. You can go bald in grey fairly young. If I tried to grow hair now, I wouldn't do it super successfully. But yeah, it just everything about people in this era looks that much older. Clint, I think Eastwood is still in his thirties at this point. He's mid thirties, and that they all look forties and up. Yeah. So how long, how old was Van Cleef at this point? Uh, so um, let me just look it up. I looked it up earlier, but just because of that thing. He, mm. Sorry, he was born early in 25. Uh, January 1925, he was born. Um, died in died in the late 80s. He didn't make a, a massively uh, high age. He died of a heart attack, but they, they found sort of throat cancer as a contributing factor as well. Um, but uh, it, it always like, it, it's always noticeable when you know someone went from that and then you see them smoke their way through films. But um, yeah, so he, I, I'm not quite sure without looking uh, when it was actually filmed. I'm just looking now to see if I can see it. Uh, I can't readily see it, but it was released later in 1925, certainly in Italy. Uh, but post-production times weren't didn't have such a lead time. So I imagine it was shot in 65. I don't know if Charlie knows. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, he's around the 40 mark. So, you know, to put that yeah. into perspective, he's he's five or six years younger than me and looks significantly older than I do now. And three of us on this call are older than he is in this film and he looks older than all three of us. The, the thing is, though, he does look like... I mean, yes, by today's standards, he looks older. But he I looks think, fit, I, though. But yeah, like yeah, but, he still looks but by, yeah, he's not by, decrepit or anything. But even by the setting that they're in, you could you'd say, oh yeah, he could be forty, he could be forty, he could be fifty, he could be sixty. You know what I mean? He, he looks like he, he looks kind of like he could be. He's got mm. this thirty years, and he, he could be like he could be anywhere between there, really. Yeah. Um, the funny thing about when you lose your hair, and Patrick Stewart's proof of this, although he's aged a lot in the last ten years. But people panic about losing their hair because they think it makes them look old. But the moment you've lost it, you're kind of timeless. If he shaved yeah. his head, you wouldn't know how old he was. No. Yeah, I think um, well, your Brenner said that when, when he sort of shaved his head, he, he kind of found it quite liberating because it kind of... Yeah, I look younger now. I'm bald rather than balding. Yeah. There you go. Um, Plus, we know what they say about bald guys, so... 
uh, I was reminded of, well, it doesn't suit everybody. I'm one of the few exceptions. I was dreading <laughs> that it was finished. And I'm like, oh, I wish I'd gone bored years ago. <laughs> it actually suits me. But um, the thing that I also thought of watching this film, and again, this is something Charlie will be very familiar with, the Sabata trilogy, which I think I talked during the last show. Mm. Not only was Van Cleef the lead in those films, but they dressed him rather dapper like this. So I don't know if it was sort of based on the same idea because he certainly dresses like a sort of gentleman outlaw. It probably was. I mean, I mean, it, it's funny because it, you're talking about Eastwood's character. Mm. Van Cleef is in The Good, Bad and the Ugly as someone completely different as well. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen and, that for a few years, so <clears throat> I'll have to be revisiting going, that again. Going back to Klaus Kinski, Klaus Kinski was in quite a few spaghetti westerns. Um, and it was like kind of a mini career for him. And he's actually, he was he's the villain in The Great Silence. Oh, I can't wait to see that. I've heard, I've, I've sort of, I, I've, I've done a very, I've done a, a shallow dive into it in that, like, I don't want to do a deep dive in because I don't, although I'm okay with spoilers, I'd rather not. I'd rather mm. just watch it. So I'm trying to read around the film without finding out too much about the film, which is quite a difficult balancing <laughs> act. Um, uh, yeah. So other characters, Klaus Kinski, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, just picking out high profile films he was in, uh, Dr. Zhivago sticks out. Uh, going, I, I seem to remember him a little bit later in his career, and I'm just trying to spot what. What was it I saw him in much later, much he, closer to he, his he death? He was in the remake of Nosferatu, because he worked a lot with Werner Herzog. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think they were quite close in their personal life, weren't they? Yeah. Fitz Caraldo. Yeah, with yeah. Werner Herzog. Uh, I'm looking for stuff I've seen. I have a feeling I've seen James Toback's Love and Money. Um, the Little Drummer Girl. I'm assuming that's based on the Le Carre novel. He was in that, so that that's that's going to be a sort of very 80s Euro thriller, um, which is sort of how I picture him. But there you go. But yes, passed away a long, long time ago. Uh, did a little bit of television as well. Yeah. And uh, I had no idea it was uh, is it, uh, just uh, Kalinsky was his uh, daughter. I had no idea. Yes. And actually, there is a passing resemblance, but only once you know. Yeah. It's not obvious until someone points it out, and then you go, yeah, yeah I can see that, actually. Um, relatively... It's very much a secondary role in the film. Obviously, we've got um, what's the actor called? Is it? Oh, it's Valente, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the lead who obviously we saw dollars. last week. Um, funnily enough, I always thought of him first from A Fistful of Dollars, but this is arguably a, a, a bigger, much more commanding role. Mm. Um, let's start with some. Uh, um, I, I suppose we, we can sort of mix in when we first saw it and what we thought of it. So. Um, is this a first view for everyone except myself and Charlie? A second view. Uh, uh, when did you see it before? Do you remember? Yeah, well, it was, well, basically, it's, 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 it's for me the the trilogy is the same as um, it was last last week. Well, I say last week. I was going to say I don't remember. <laughs> last episode. Um, it wasn't even a fun when I we last talked about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the it, it was like it was on like like a Channel Four or something like that. Uh, like I think it was uh, summer ninety nine. Uh, right. I, I think around that sort of time, and I, I and I watched I watched them all like for the first time, full on like as they were showing like like one week it was you know they did it like week by week. I think it was on a Sunday, 
Um, so I, I watched I watched it then, um, and then I like well now. Well, actually no, I've, I've I watched it twice again now because it's the second viewing for this podcast. Because I, I, I watched it, you know, anticipating to do a recording. Then yeah, yeah, we we were going to. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. So this, so it's only really up to now. Uh, that was directly, without giving too much of Chris's personal life away. That is directly that the baby was premature. We still thought we had a couple of months to record a few. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, baby came home. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> then... One day he said, uh, "Can we put this off on my dad?" I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, sure." <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Well, yeah, he had uh, extra special reason to, so you know, yeah. it's not not just any old. Uh, yeah. I didn't fancy it for a couple of months. We had, you know, genuine reasons, so it's all right. But but if I give any sort of lame jokes, then um, then that's allowed now because you know, dad jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've I've I've, got I've, I've, I've I've got the license for him now, so <laughs> it's allowed. It's all legal. But yeah, you know, I've already seen it the one um, the once before. Uh, for the podcast um did you remember before you watched it for the original recording did you remember much of it was it all sort of See, fresh when you watched it again I, yeah i mean because it was such a long time because i i remember broadly what dollars the like fistful of dollars was about because the the story is more well known this one less so than i knew it was like um i knew like broadly you had like Lee van cleef and it was basically like him and eastwood um, going at it um, uh, with the with the bag with the bad guy with the with with the um, what's it called the the it's like it's like is it a pocket watch but it's like a, a pocket watch yeah but it had like yeah. a shine yeah. so I didn't know if it I couldn't remember but it was that kind of thing and like facing off at the end and I knew there was like so I knew broad like broadly but if you'd asked me to explain the plot I don't think I'd be able to but like I but I. I'd remember, like, sort of the main, like, moments, so to speak. And what did you think of it? Uh, of oh, 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 this time round? Yeah. Um, yeah, this time round. This time round. Um, yeah, um, I, 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 well, I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I, I but I think I liked it uh, more than the last film. Simply because uh, it's it seems to have more meat on the bones. Um and you've got basically got you know, you got Eastwood, you just got uh, Lee Lee Van Cleef, uh, and the 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 chap who does the uh, is it uh, I'm going to pronounce his name is it Volante, 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 Volante. Um, I'm glad I'm not the only one His villain role is a lot more rememberable as well, a lot more like beefed out and a lot more um, he's more dastardly, but a bit more interesting as well. Yeah, I so, played Back to the Future Part Two for remembering him from the other film more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that, I guess. But because uh, this is just so much better that way. But uh, but yeah, it, it's but again, it's it's kind of like similar in terms of like you know who's who's playing who, trust, double crossing, you know, yeah, that that kind of thing, you know, sort of like you know Eastwood like sort of joins the gang. Uh, albeit for a short while you know th- that kind of thing and then gets found out gets beaten up and then you get like the climax at the end but um but yeah i but i, I think for me for for money i think i actually um enjoyed it more than the last film i don't know about you guys yeah so yeah this is like the second or third time i've seen it obviously for last time was it the first time um because i'm quite embarrassed to admit 
obviously with Chris being of the Action Junkie podcast, um, and Dave and Charlie obviously, you know, being the resident film buffs, um, a lot of a lot of these films on our list, the ones that we, we cover that we covered, so obviously apart from the Bond films, um, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, quite a thing. So yeah, various films on these on our review schedule. Um, I've either not seen in eons or have not seen at all. Um, like Lethal Weapon, for example. And then as soon as I knew that we were going to be doing them on the podcast, I thought, right, I'll save myself um, and then pop that cherry when it came to it. Um, yeah, this is probably like the second or third time. But yeah, it's, it's the same, really. I mean, these films are across like the Western action genre, even sci-fi as well. They, they cast a long shadow. Um, and then he's a you know, legendary director. His influence is, is found you know, far, far across all kinds of different types of films and genres. Um, but yeah, it was the second time around. I kind of, it's one, for me, it's one of those films that you really have got to pay attention to because it is, even though it's two hours, um, oh, it's probably just my little brain, I don't know. Um, you've got to pay attention to kind of like who's, you know, who's difficult and who, who's kind of playing against who. Um, and, and some of the, the shootout scenes are, are really, really intense as well. Um, and there's quite a lot of things that you perhaps might, I don't know, maybe in the 70s and 80s. I mean, there's a rape scene, smoking weed, all kinds. Anything goes in this movie um, that perhaps you may not see now or you may see in today's, you know, today's cinema, but in, only done perhaps in a certain stylized way. Um, or perhaps, you know, be slapped with an 80s certificate. Um, yeah, sort of points of it I did sort of remember. But yeah, so perhaps I didn't remember it as well, perhaps, but it was a couple of months ago. Um and I've had a, a few nice holidays in between um, and had a crazy time busy at work as well. So I perhaps didn't remember it as well as perhaps I, I should have done. Um, but no, I, I'm, it sounds really sad, but also because my, my, grand, my late granddad um, was, was a big fan of obviously um, his generation. Um, Go up sort of like, you know, 40s, 50s, that sort of thing. Um, also a big fan of like war movies, um, detective films, um, westerns as well. Um, and I just it was always rather embarrassing to me that I, this particular trilogy I'd never actually got around to seeing so I'm kind of glad that we're doing it now um, after mentioning it on a podcast years ago um, and yeah just I'm just really excited to, to deep dive into it really to be honest so and having Charlie as well um, with knowledge of film music I think it would just make the experience even better Do you want to go next Charlie? Yeah not too much pressure um, oh yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. I don't mean to add any pressure. I just, you know. I, I really appreciate. It. Um, yeah, um, I, I think it's probably my favourite of of the three. I think it's interesting that if you look at the films in sequence, obviously with the good Amalia we next time, um, Leone seems to, I guess maybe if he's got his confidence or whatever, um, kind of goes up the scale in terms of how operatic the films are. Um, and that, that's certainly why I like this one is because it is, it, it's very intense and very operatic because of the, uh, the, the way the kind of storyline threads together, especially with Van Cleef's character. Um, and I think also having Eastwood and uh, Van Cleef together um, a kind of precursor to kind of buddy comedies, essentially. Mm. Um, they have such good chemistry as well. And also Volante as well, um, who is, again, he's incredibly charismatic, um, despite being a clearly despicable man um, and the kind of things we see him do. 
and um, but there's, there's kind of like a depth to him as well. Um, he was just a rancid bad guy last time out. You know what I mean? There was just yeah. more here. Yeah, he seems more magnetic this time around mm. rather than yeah. just an out bastard. Excuse my language. Yeah, there's, there's a real kind of sense of depth and kind of melancholy. Um, and uh, the, uh, the the use of the, uh, the the pocket watch as well um, is, is a lovely touch. And, and yeah, the, the action's great as well. And it's, it's, re- it's exciting and it's funny. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just a great film. I, I also felt there's a bit of a precursor to because um, the the reveal like the reveal of like who uh, Van Cleef is, like all the reason why he's after um, uh, Valente. Uh, what, what's his name in the film? It's um, good question. What's his the character? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, India. 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 Yeah, it's kind of reminds me of once upon time, once upon time and the rest. You know that you know with the, the harmonica. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like it's kind of a precursor to that. Um, mm. But um, I'd the... argue it buries the lead better than Once Upon a Time in the West. Actually, I I, I prefer I, from memory, and and I always approach mm-hmm. things fresh. I think I prefer Once Upon a Time in the West. That's one of my favourite films. Full stop. But th- there was clearly something going on with Bronson's character, and it's not actually as obvious here until you get to the end and realise they both got the same pocket watch, etc. Yeah, exactly, mm. yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But there's a but there's like a, a stark difference between like the like the like Eastwood and um and Van Cleef are like kind of polar off opposites like as well as like not just in the style, the way they dress, their their technique. Um, they're mad around people as well. Yeah. But also their their methods are like there's um there's a bit where you see, where you see um, Indigo's wanted poster, and they're both—it's like they're both like kind of seen it at the same time. Eastwood eyes go straight to like the award money, and um, Van Cleef's eyes just go like dead or alive. And he sort of and he, and he zeroes on his eyes on on the eyes on the poster. He just kind of so he just instantly about any dialogue, you you know exactly what their motivations <laughs> I, are. I love the I love the fact the other two wanted posters you see. Are like really cruel, crudely drawn. Yeah, yeah. And, and the one of him looks like a fucking Andy Warhol painting. <laughs> it does, you know. He's laughing as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, flip the shot, trace over that. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and that's what it looks like. Um, I saw you could do a screen print or something from it. I saw the trilogy. I said some of this in the last episode, but I saw the trilogy on on a box set in about 2003, just after Once Upon a Time in the West had got like a restoration and a DVD release and all the rest of it. Uh, As I think I said, the little inset picture we're using at the time of recording on our social media is effectively the DVD cover from that from that set. Um, and, And funnily enough, I remembered this film worst of the three because the bit where where is it they go fairly late in the film where they sort of go to that sort of smallish village mm. um, and he's, he notices Van Cleef is there as well where he's shooting the fruit out of the tree I misremember that totally as them hunting each other at that point so I'd misremembered a lot of the plot <clears throat> and I think part of it also was I had Again, this is from memory, so anyone with the set might tell me we're wrong. I'm wrong, but although none of the restorations, none of the picture qualities were great at that point, I seem to remember the good and the bad. The the good, the bad, and the ugly had the worst print. 
And so I, I didn't warm to that as well as when I watched them all again a few years later, restored. Um, so I liked this film best of the three. The, the first film seemed a bit proof of concept. This film felt a lot more meat on the bones. And the first time round, I, I just didn't get the good, the bad and the ugly quite as much as I did on a rewatch. So this one just stood out as in that sweet spot of just the perfect length, perfect plot. More than once, even though it gets referred to as, as loosely the plot of A Fistful of Dollars, I thought of Licence to Kill and watching this film a couple of times where he was sort of ingratiating himself with a fairly loyal but quite despicable bad guy. Um, and I had a really good time with it tonight. What I really like about it is that it's a little bit like A Fistful of Dollars in that it was simple and complex at the same time. If, if someone said, what are the main beats of A Fistful of Dollars, you could tell, tell them in three or four sentences but there's quite a bit of detail to go through if you want to. And this film's the same. I, 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 was, I mean, the first 28, 29 minutes are nothing but exposition. The first 29 minutes or so are just set up. Both of them getting into town, working out who they are, having them bounty hunt so you can see an example of what they do. Very much referred to as bounty killers, not bounty hunters. I don't, yeah, I don't that, yeah, there's that opening yeah. bit in the film, isn't there? That's why, um, um, like, the... the basically life is meaningless when death has the price and that's why the bounty killers came rather than it's the a quote at the start of the film yeah, um, yeah. but so also I'd... you've also because they're arriving in the town separately their interactions are with the townsfolk not each other initially so you get a different sense of their you get a sense of their differing characters so van cleef gets himself we'll go through it in in order in a bit but you know at the very start he gets off a train illegally pulling the sort of stop on it and although he's wary of him, the guard goes up to him and says, well, you're not really supposed to do that. If that had been Clint Eastwood, I think he'd have been too scared to go up to him. So I think that they they, they have a, they carry a very different quality to them. Lee Van Cleef is a little bit more gentlemanly in his bearing and not just the way he's dressed. Mm. Um, you get introduced to um, El Indio. You get introduced to... Uh, well, he's obviously broken out early in the film. Then you get uh, whether Van Cleef knows he's going to go back to that town. I don't know. That all seems a bit. That's almost like a plot hole. Like, did he find him by accident? Um, you also get a bit of intrigue set up around. He's clearly this pocket watch takes him back to a previous time, where he's he's remembering this crime he committed that involved murder and it appears rape. Although the first time you don't see the rape you just get the inference it's about to happen um so that po and he's taking some sort of drug to sort of deal with the stress of of the memories of that and we don't know what that is till later in the film and um we get the sort of bounty hunters sort of encountering each other from the first for the first time and all of that takes about the first half an hour of the film and not once does it drag and then we have a little bit of intrigue with how they sort of set up him being ingratiated into the group, how they come to a sort of accommodation with each other, how they, um, Mortimer and Manco, isn't it? And then how they, how he sort of sets up this bank heist to distract from the main bank heist, which we'll come to. And it's just all very, very well plotted. The other thing is whatever version I was watching tonight, looks presumably restored because it looked really nice it, it's a pretty film you can still see that it's slightly low budget cost about 
$600,000, took about $25 million. So it was solidly successful and cost a lot more than a fistful of dollars. The town is clearly a bit bigger, but it's still not as expansive as we'll see once we get to sort of once upon a time in the West and something and things like that. But um, it's still, yeah, they've got a bit more money here. They've got a bit more time to think about what they're writing and actually put a bit more meat on it. And yeah, I was nothing but deeply impressed. Having said that, with the reputation of the good, the bad and the ugly, I'd be very surprised if I don't end up preferring it because what I saw tonight wasn't wasn't transcendent, but it was it was solid. I really liked it. Obviously, before um, when we come to the end of a series, sometimes obviously it was like Bond or India or any kind of like really big overarching series. Um, as a podcast, we traditionally kind of rank them. Um, I don't know if we'll do that with this one. Um, I don't know if there's. It won't be a ranking episode, but there's nothing wrong. No, with well, no, exactly, because it, it, well, it's, it's not. It's not really a long series as well, is it? I mean, it's literally just just with this film. It's, it's three films really with, with this trilogy, um, obviously. Be very um, Tolkien, won't it? Particularly the Peter Jackson ones. They declined in a straight line. Well, yeah, this is it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to coming to again as well. But I don't know if there's. Yeah. I'm really showing my ignorance here, and I can only apologise um, to all you fans who are going to be screaming at me. Uh, so I, I hold my hand up. Um, but with this one, is there kind of like, is there like an official ranking? Like I don't know. Obviously, they're all hugely famous, both together as a trilogy and individually. Um, and you know, cannot cannot be understated how influential these films are. Certainly, but is there kind of like a preferred ranking with these? Like is good the bad and the ugly is the most yeah is that generally like the best one or how does it go it's not about whether we think it's the best i'm, I'm just answering it's generally the most lauded of the three yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's the impression that i was going under as well it's not the most lauded of his westerns because you could argue no. once upon a time in the west is but well, even exactly. then that would but be debatable. The i i would i would assume that's what i would assume i would say what well, got a good bang of the like the probably the most well known it's like probably most famous yeah isn't it, if you, like if you'd like if you'd sort of like um, go to yeah, approach like you know random people on the street and ask them to name Western. I think Good Bad Dougley would probably they'd say more than say a fistful of dollars. Um, sure. Like yeah. Yeah, no one's going to uh, say a few dollars more, but that's just because it's the middle film. It sounds like a sequel, doesn't it? For yeah. a few dollars more, it's like we can scream. But we it sounds it's it's a title that almost sounds like hey, we we can squeeze a few more quid out of this franchise. Yeah, literally. but I think the Dollars trilogy kind of like is almost like comes as a package. Almost I think. So some people would say Fistful Dollars is would is better. Some probably I see, would say uh, good, bad, the ugly. But some, and, and some people might even say this as well. Like, uh, but I think I think really it's more down to like what are you more familiar with rather than what's but what's uh, uh, what's actually better. You have to remember as well the good, the bad, and the ugly is is somewhere approaching or around the three hour mark. So probably mm-hmm. fewer people have sat through it all. So I would suggest there's more people who know it by reputation than have actually sat through, mm. whereas more people will have sat through Fistful of Dollars because it's, what, 90 minutes? And the music. Yeah. The, the, uh, oh, the and the music, definitely. yeah. It's, yeah. it's probably the most culturally referenced one of the three as well. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I can't wait to get to it because I've largely forgotten it, but there's more... As I recall, there's more ideas in it. There's more commentary on the world they're in. That we've oh got. yeah, yeah. It's set during the Civil War. So. Yeah, so it's got more to say. This is still, yeah. this is still not a caper because a caper implies a bank robbery is a caper. It's not a caper film as such, but it's got that element of just like a, a, a diverting little plot about bad guys and like slightly less bad guys. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, to discuss this film sequentially, I've just noticed the old guy on the train who sat opposite um, Lee Van Cleef was 39 when this was shot as well. <laughs> <laughs> he looks about 70. Yeah, um, it's, it's weird, isn't it? They all look older than what they actually were. But I think yeah, perceptions of age have certainly changed. And obviously you've got makeup, costume, one thing, another. The fact that it was bloody hot. You could see sweat. That's one amazing thing about obviously, the director. But, you know, you could just see the sweat dripping off their faces. Oh, it, my God. It's really odd, because, like, perception of time, because, like... Um... It looked like shows like sort of in the late 80s and things like that, and uh, like uh, game shows, and you see people and they reveal their ages, and you're like, "What, really?" Like the the, the, yeah, the, 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 the someone who goes like, "Oh, I'm I'm Sue and I'm 19," and you're thinking, "She she she looks 31." What, what the hell's <laughs> going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, sure. but it, 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 I think a lot of it is like is like sort of like hairstyles and fashion and whatnot. But the, 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 I don't know. It's got to be more to that, surely. But anyway, and the fact that most bullseye contestants probably smoke sixty a day, lived yeah. in a pub, and ate turkey twizzlers. You know? well, that's it. Yeah, probably, yeah, diet and lifestyle, and that probably um, had there was a sub- yeah, there was a subsection of society specifically that went on that show. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, going back to golfing, that's that always shocks me that you know he looks like he could be in like fifties or sixties, but actually he was like late thirties, early forties, and it's just like what what the bloody hell, you know. <laughs> Yeah, for those wondering what we're talking about, everyone listening to this has seen Goldfinger, the scene where um, fairly early in the film, after Jill Masterson's been killed and all the rest of it, and they go after the M scene, you know, this is not a personal vendetta. Um, <laughs> he asks him to now. come back that evening, black tie, for a meeting with the governor of the Bank of England, who gives him the gold bar to use as he wishes. Now, if you can picture that guy in your head, you're picturing a guy that you're probably imagining his late 50s, early 60s, and he was actually about 38. And it looks like he's 50. Like we said, it's almost like he got all his aging out of the way because he was appearing in sitcoms 15, 20 years later looking exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, we have what we later find to be Colonel Douglas Mortimer. Uh, Mortimer, sorry. Um, and he's on a train heading into town. Uh, the town is called Tukumkari, which I'm um, not to step on all of Becca's fun facts, but I did read one of the ambiguities of this film is that town wasn't actually formed in reality till the 20th century. No, it's a bit of a fake film um, now, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. This film was set in like 1870-something? No. No. I'm, this is where I've got a bit of a question that doesn't have to be answered. I don't think it's that important. But he's on a train that doesn't stop at this station. It goes through it. So he pulls the emergency cord, much like you still get on trains now. So it's normally a button rather than a cord now. And you can stop a train. Um, Obviously, you get fined for illegal use of it now, but it's there if, if there's an emergency. Now, why is he on this train that doesn't stop there? Why does he feel the need to stop it illegally? It's almost like he doesn't want to buy a ticket to this place. And given El Indio is still in prison at this stage, it's not like he's expecting to find him in the town at this point. So this sequence confuses me beyond, is it just a, a shorthand for this guy just lives by his own rules, but he does it fairly politely. So He's gone through a lot of trouble as well because he gets his horse off the train as well. He, he gets his him. horse so off. He's got his horse well, on that well, too. So what, how I read it, and I could be wrong. So I, I got a feeling that from given that... Um, He's always attempted to get off there. Now the train does go through that area, but it doesn't stop because it's deemed like too dangerous. It's too like, it's too rough an area. 
Is that um, what it is? It's too rough it, a place. That's that's the impression I got okay. because like when he gets off, like the the guy's in a rush to to sort of close up and get get the train back moving because it's like the no intent of stopping because of like because of you know it's just full of like wrongans. Um, Right. Now that's the impression I got. Now he was going there anyway to get the the bounty on um, uh, this other guy who, who he goes to because the next scene he just he goes to he gets Callaway. This, yeah, yeah. He, he picks up a bounty and go and and gets the guy um, while well, well, he's having it off with a, with a lady, um, mm. um, and and then it's after that he sees the wanted poster for. Um, uh, in, he doesn't uh, see El Indio quite this yet yeah. because obviously we get him capturing someone and it leads me on to a related question. The related question is, and again, I had an answer to this three months ago, but I can't remember what the answer in my head was. Um, so then we see Clint come into town, find a bounty of twice as much, go and sort that bounty out, take him to the sheriff, and then he takes the sheriff's badge. And says, walks outside and says to people, you're going to need a new sheriff. Mm. And I'm thinking, why? Is the implication the sheriff isn't doing anything and they're reliant just on these bounty hunters? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. That would add to the him. idea that it's a town you don't want to stop in because they've got a guy wearing a badge who's doing nothing. Yeah. Because yeah, he kind of scolds the, uh, the sheriff and the sheriff kind of admits that he's not doing his job. Right. And again, that that falls into sort of the um, the the type of character that Eastwood plays. He's kind of like a, a figure of um, justice in a way. It's like he, you know, what I mean, as a man, he's like there for the money. But like as a caricature, he's he's like it's, again, it, that... yeah. It's it's not it's not just it's it's not justice in the in the in the typical sense of oh, I'm going to grab a gun and clean this town. It, it, it it's more of a deeper sense of like you're not doing your job. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to tell, almost, I'm just gonna tell you how it is. You know? You're re- relying on men like me. Yeah. Um, and, and this was very true, and I won't keep on about it because actually it shows a dearth of knowledge that I keep referring back to Sabata because I've seen so few different spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. But it reminded me of that in the throughout the films, and particularly in the first one, he'd do the right things, but not for the right reasons. Um, I remember in that first film, he does it for the sake of he does whatever he does for five thousand dollars, which is obviously five times as much as what he's doing here. Uh, this is Lee Van Cleef, um, but he ends up doing the right things. But it's you'll pay me though, um, yeah. and I quite like the way. And again, different styles, are very efficient with Van Cleef's. Uh, with Eastwoods, there's a bit more of a playfulness to it. He, he goes in, and the guy's like playing cards. And, and the gamble is on his life. Yeah. So there's um, the, yeah, obviously Eastwood's like Eastwood. I think we all kind of know like the Eastwood's kind of style. Whereas Van Cleef is a lot more like um, he's more, he's a bit more business. He's he's you know he's got his like you know assortment of guns. He's got his like you know gadgets. He prefers sort of do things more long range as well, things like that. Um, but the, the other thing I picked up on on the what watch it tonight is. He also he doesn't drink as well, like when he goes to the barn and and, and he want he, or he wants his information. He wants to like right what room, like you know he's like there like denying like any whiskey or anything like that. He's like right. he, he I mean he he smokes but he doesn't drink. And he's got his guns all like really properly arranged yeah. on the side of his horse and things like that. It, yeah. It's 
they're both as talented but Eastwood is going around it it, it wouldn't be a surprise because we think of the character almost as emotionless but it wouldn't be a surprise if he was walking around with a grin on his face he's, he's he always seems vaguely amused by it all mm. would you what, agree what, with what, that, what uh, Van Cleef yeah, no Eastwood yeah. Eastwood, yeah, yeah. East, Eastwood's always got a kind of grin on his face, and he's he's a lot more kind of aloof, a lot more off the cuff. Whereas Mortimer Van Cleef is, like you said, he's got his guns. He's very kind of methodic um, about what he does. Yeah, he has a plan, doesn't he? And um, again, for those following us on social media i think i put up a, we put up a gif last night just to sort of announce we were recording tonight and it's eastwood turning to shoot three people and it, and it's from this he basically goes to bring bring these three guys down mm. uh, guys down and like his crew arrive in the doorway and he, he sort of takes them all out and the other guy and you've got that strange and i think it's budgetary and i said it last time you got that strange disconnect between it being bloodless and brutal yeah, because he shoots the guy without looking as well, doesn't he? The one he does. reaching for his gun. But they all go down without wounds. The only wound you see is the one that's delivered off camera, and then the camera goes down on the woman, the rape victim. Yeah. Um, because they can make up that on ahead of time rather than squibs and all the rest of it. So um, it's it's got a strange feel to it. You would think, oh, they've pulled their punches, but then you look at the sort of subject matter. And the way people are taken out so ruthlessly, it's not pulling these punches at all. It's just yeah. not got the money. But that's that's really the first sort of act of the film. We're introduced. Oh, I suppose the end of the first act of the film would be the release of Indio. Indio's kind of a bandit who's been in, who's been in prison. I think it's a life sentence. I don't know if that's ever said, but that's the implication. And his crew basically break him out. Um, and it's brutal. I think they kill all but one. And it's that typical what's now a trope of I'm leaving you alive. Tell everyone about me. Um, and the next thing we see, he laughs uproariously, which made me think of Austin Powers. <laughs> and then uh, it cuts to the wanted poster and he's wanted for 10 grand. So, again, not only is the, the two previous bounties shown us what our bounty hunters do and how they how their styles are different to each other, but it gives you the stakes here. That he's he's ten times the value Van Cleef was going for to start with. Yeah, and then then we get um, the scene where he's he goes he, he goes to confront the the guy, put him away. Yeah, which which quite, adds, was, which adds to quite that brutality of it all. Again, I was getting very Sanchez overtones, a bit like you know, give him his heart. Give her his heart. Mm. You know what I mean? It was again. It doesn't have the bloodletting, but it's it's needlessly sadistic. They could have put a bullet in him straight away, but they had to have him listen to his wife and child being shot outside. I suppose the only thing more brutal would have been if they'd done it in front of him. But I think even if this film would have struggled to kill a young child on screen, mm. uh, and then having and then what is a fantastic piece of reaction acting from the guy. He then he's then forced to play a game where they draw at the end of this um, sound from the pocket watch, which once you hear it, you'll never forget it. It's very it's very memorable mm. the piece, the little piece of music. Oh yeah, as the, as the music sort of te like tends us up as well. It slows it slows yeah. down as the winding mechanism wears wears out or runs down. It's uh, an interesting technique, isn't it? As well, it's like um, <clears throat> it's yeah, it's one of those kind of things. It's really iconic about the film as well. Once you've Heard it, cannot unhear it. 
But if you think about it, it to, to round off this act, we've got, so we've had who the bounty hunters are, what the town is like, uh, what some of the people in the town are like, like the kid trying to get him to buy a room mm. and all the rest of it. You've had, you've been, the bad guy's been broken out. You've seen how he operates. You've seen he takes instant revenge. And then he sits down, remembers a murder stroke implied rape at this stage we actually see it later it's not too graphic but it's very obvious what's happening and he sits there with the pocket watch and gets stoned so this guy's got some damage on him from this previous crime we don't necessarily link the pocket watch to it directly um i suppose if you thought about it and you'd seen once upon a time in the west you may put it together but I, I didn't really think about it. And that's Act 1. And what an Act 1. It's given us everything it's, it's we busy, need. It's busy, isn't it? It's a busy mm. film. A lot that's going probably on. about the first 40, 40 minutes of the film or so. I mean, it's, it's two hours long, but I mean, it doesn't <clears throat> it doesn't drag any of it. But it's, this is why I mean you've got to pay attention. It's, it's really packed. You know, it's, it's, you're, not, you're not bored to any point in the film. So I would There's say... There's a lot packed Broadly speaking, the second act of the film is about our two bounty hunters making an accommodation with each other in a plan. Mm. So, what do we want to say about this? Um, so, so they're casing the um, the the bank, aren't they? Yes. Uh, and they're and obviously they're observing the the bandits. Uh, the the yeah. bounty is the bandit. They're counting like steps and things yeah. like that. Like everything runs like clockwork. So it's X number of steps that you can count, and by that point they'll be round this corner and so on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, straight out and straight into bank robberies, which is a bit dramatic, I suppose. But he's gonna, um, yeah, this is this is El Paso now at this point. Um, and the safe we're told holds nearly a million dollars, which is just an insane amount of money for this era. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I, isn't like the um, the reward and things like that. They're always inf- inflated to. Um, I, you know, I don't think bounties were this this high. Um, I've no idea. Because you know, because that would be like in like insane. Like not many people. I don't think there'd be that much money in circulation. <laughs> well, you'd you'd be retiring after one, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, you. Were. I mean, I mean, quite, back when, in there. when they post this ten grand reward, they're talking about like. He'll buy a place and retire on it, yeah. on a share of it, because of course they start off with um, Eastwood tries to run him out of town. He basically tells the staff at the hotel bar, whatever it is, to like take it to the station. He's leaving. Um, and then he steps on his shoes. Then he steps on his <laughs> shoe, which I always think is really petty. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of starts shooting at his hat every time he goes to pick it up. Mm. And then Van Cleef sort of replies by just shooting his hat while it's in the air several times. And I just remember thinking, why don't just they whip their dicks out and see which one's bigger? Because it, it, it is a bit juvenile, isn't it? But they end up coming to a, an accommodation. It is. It, 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 it's, it's kind of like they're having a stand down without killing each other. Yeah. Essentially, essentially what they're doing. They're showing each other's talent level to say, yeah. do you really want to mess with me? Yes. I think. Yeah, I think. absolutely, yeah. Um, when is it Mortimer meets Klaus Kinski's character? Because this come, they come, they this... come back into, into each other later, don't they? Yeah, so this happened, this, this happens before um, 
Eastwood and uh, Van Cleef meet before. So this is like when they arrive in town. Uh, he's at the bar and he has an altercation with um, uh, the hunchback. Wild, he's yeah. called. Yeah. yeah. He's got a very sort of slight hunch on his back, yeah. Um, if you've not seen the film, it's probably not what you've got in your head. When you think of a hunchback, you think of something a bit more over the top than this, but he yeah. definitely has a hunch. Um, yeah, so Van Cleef has already kind of marked their cards, let's put it that way. Um, yeah, and it, it, they tried, they, yeah, they, they don't they don't end up fighting. So what? where do we go from there? How does Manco get involved in the crew? They're both casing the. They're both watching them case the bank, so they notice each other, don't they? Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah. So after they they decide to come after the shooting match, they decide to come together. He's, they um, meet in like the hotel yeah, room for he, a, a. He tells a drink him, and a chat. "You you join their gang," uh, and he does that by getting uh, Eastwood sort of gets um, breaks out another one of his men. That's right. This guy's got, I can't remember if it's, I think it's four years this guy's yeah, got. So he's not years, in prison yeah. forever. But he breaks him out and takes him right back to, to where they'd shot the guy who put him in prison in the first place. They're still hanging out there, yeah. I think, at that point. And it feels high stakes because he immediately doesn't, visibly doesn't trust Eastwood. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. But he kind of lets him get involved. And they decide they're going to rob a bank in a different town first. And he's sent to do that. Santa Cruz it is. And it's to basically get them to call into El Paso. So El Paso's law enforcement head over that way and leave the bank undefended. But on the way there, so they send they send um, Eastwood off with three, I think, of his guys. And Eastwood shoots them all on the way, and then goes and basically goes and finds the guy who sends all the telegrams. Mm. Basically, says send a message saying you've just been robbed, and then he ties him up, and gags him. And I love the fact that Van Cleef comes across him and shoots him. He actually shoots Eastwood, just grazes him on the neck. Yeah, and he basically says, "You're new to his crew. You're new in town. You're about to go back. Three of his men are dead." He's going to smell a rat. Yeah. At least now you've been in an altercation. Yeah. At least yeah. Uh, but yeah. You know, at least now it's like semi-believable. Like you know. Yeah. You know. And basically, the, the the I mean, we're racing through it now because all the details in Act One. I think we we are straight onto the robbery now, aren't we? Really. Yeah. Mm. The the main robbery. They break out the safe. The safe is considered to be incredibly difficult to crack they they sort of stand out in the middle of nowhere shooting at the sort of cabinet around it to break it down when they open it it's a solid sort of safe and van cleef offers to break into it for a proportion yeah. of the money so this is yeah, so they this they, they have another altercation so this is um uh he he's he arrives at the uh, in in this in this other small town um, now, does, now doesn't Eastwood sort of say they were going to like sort of sort of send them there this way when Eastwood sends them like this way, or and then um, and, and, and Van Cleef sort of predicted that he'd like 
go go against yeah. plan. Yeah, because he says they should go. He says they should. The guy uh, India says they're going north, mm. and then Eastwood says they should go south. After telling Van Cleef that he was going north. Mm. Yeah, and Van Cleef says to him, "I knew you'd do exactly the opposite of what I suggested." <laughs> um. So they're really smart. They they are in partnership, but they're they're quite happy to try and try and cut each other out. Uh, but at this stage, so they've they've robbed the money. Yeah. And he breaks into the safe. It, it's full of cash. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Van Cleef um, that shoots um, the Wild because uh, Wild sees him in, at, at the bar and decides to. Yeah, he goes for it, and that's it. He just pulls yeah. him out with that little, little tiny gun again. He had a very similar one in other films I've seen him in. Um, so they 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 reused the basics of this character. Yeah, um, and he, he's the only one that can open the safe as well. Yeah, he's the only one that can open the safe. But a lot of drilling and all the rest of it breaks into it, and then they decide. And this bit sort of lost me. They decide to sort of lock the money up for a month. What was that about? I'm a I bit confused they, as to why they did that. They've got they the just, money there. They just wanted to lay low for a little bit. To let it all die down, rather than yeah. see. Okay. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. So, uh, they they go to... What do we do now? Where do we go now? So, um, I think yeah, it, it does move swif- swiftly on now. So... Um... Don't they? They go. They go to they this go to small sort town. of border, very Mexican town, don't they? Mm. And this is where I'd completely misremembered the film because I, I, I just had memories of the two leads kind of stalking each other, and that's that's not what happened. That was earlier in the film where they caught each other watching, and I think I was getting a bit mixed up with Once Upon a Time in the West as well. Maybe, they were, maybe the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly as well. Yeah, they were walking in that across. Film, the they are. Yeah, it could be. Um, but it was one of the, the 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 fact that I misremembered it is almost unforgivable as well. Because if someone had said, "Why do you prefer the second film?" I would have pointed <laughs> to that scene, and I couldn't even remember it properly. Um, so they go into this town, uh, and this is where yeah, this is where he kills uh, Wild, and cracks the safe open, and sort of Manco and um, so East. Well, we'll just go with Eastwood and Clown Backley. They meet up and plan to sort of steal the money. Yeah. And this is quite funny, and what it reminded me of was a really silly, random thing. Uh, a few years ago, they put a um, they put a super fence around Glastonbury because for years people were going to Glastonbury Festival for free. You know, there'd be officially a hundred thousand people there, but it would be like three hundred. So they nearly lost their license. They, 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 you know, the town council of Pilton or whatever it is, were were voting every year and it was squeaking through for them to get their license. They said, you know, the town is filling up with people. Those who can't get into the festival are going to cause problems. Um, and the, the last year they squeaked it through on the basis of you put in a super fence. Actually, it got worse the first year because a lot of people turned up thinking they could get in. And when they didn't, they went and caused trouble in the local town. But anyway, the first year, there was one reported case of someone scaling the fence. Unfortunately, they landed right in the security in the security guards area, <laughs> so they they worked out how to get under or over this fence and landed. It, it's like it's like breaking into the police station. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
and it reminded me of that because they go to break it in and Eastwood's feet lands on El Indio. <laughs> um, so they now get the shit kicked out of them. And that's quite brutal. They really do get the shit kicked out mm. of them. Mm. And they're basically locked up. And this is the bit where he does diverge from the sort of Sanchez analogies in that Sanchez was at least until he ended up killing his own staff right at the end. Um, he was fairly loyal if you were loyal to him. Well, it actually turns out he's, he's, he's basically going to get someone to break them out, make it look like someone else did it amongst his crew, kill that person, and then basically send the rest of his crew after them in the hope that they'll all kill each other and him and Nino, I think is called, will we'll just mm. spend money. Yeah. Which is a cool little wrinkle. The film didn't need to think about it in that depth to keep our attention. I was yeah. quite impressed by that sort of little change. But of course, the it, thing that's gone it, wrong there is... It doesn't, go, doesn't quite go to plan. So they, they, they said, yeah, they, they essentially break, break Eastwood and Van Cleef out and then send the men after him. And think yeah. like, well, although they will kill themselves, we'll go off. Uh, yeah. But one of his one of his men kind of catches on. Um, what 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 what's what's his name? The uh, Groggy. Was which one? Groggy. Groggy. That's it. Groggy's the one that sort of catches on. Um, I can't remember the name. The one that they they. Um... The one that uh, I want to say is it the one, one that, that gets frames for it. The one that actually does the sort of killing to frame him is Nino. Yeah, and so he reminds me. Cuchilla's knife. He that's the one. That's the one who got, he gets kills, framed. And he kills Slim. And the acting's really good because when he's framed for it, he looks at him really plaintively and yeah. says, "I didn't do this." Um, but the one who actually the one who actually stages the murder, the heavy set guy. Mm. Visually, he reminds me of. Um, Ian McShane's right hand man in Deadwood. I don't know if any of you have ever seen Deadwood. No, just I want to watch Deadwood though. Like it's on Paramount Plus. I've just started watching it because I had the discs years ago and didn't get through all of it. I'm only mm. about seven or eight episodes in. Uh, but his right hand man's like a fairly heavy set, quite quiet mm. guy, and they just look a bit similar. <laughs> and again, you do wonder if there are all these influences. Like they go to the town of Amarillo and you go, mm. well, Amarillo is a real town. And then you think, well, what was it called in Red Dead Redemption? Armadillo? Mm. You just go like, they do re slightly reuse these things. Is um, the, So the guy they, they frame as the person who freed him. Yeah. And then, and then is, it, is that the guy Eastwood freed to get in? Because it would make sense no. from a narrative no. point of view. No, it like... wasn't. It was an older guy than that, I think. The scene we haven't talked about that I found odd but funny, and it was a sign of the like the sort of the human. Funnily enough, I used to th I thought of Spock because Spock was emotionless, but there was always an air of faint amusement about him, and it made me think of that when Eastwood was talking to the old guy who lived near the train near the train line mm. and was being driven slowly mad by it. Mm. I can't remember the point of that scene. What was the point of that scene with the old man who was a bit nuts? I mean, it was comic relief, really. Was it just get more information? Yeah, but I can't remember what information um... he gets. But yeah, going back to this stage of the film, they now, of course, they they join up and sort of take the gang down one by one. Pretty well, pretty decent shot action for its time. Uh, Mortimer shoots Groggy. 
uh, as the outlaw runs for it. Um, but then Indio appears and shoots his gun out of his hand, so he's mm. a sitting duck. And then he decides to do the sort of dramatic pocket watch thing. Mm. So he stood there waiting to be shot as this sort of tune slows down. And then uh, Eastwood comes in with the other pocket watch. And whilst I don't think the framing of faces is as strong in this film as the first one, or certainly once upon a time in the, in the West, um, I've seen that more where he does the sort of landscape shot on faces. Mm. But the dropping of Eastwood's hand into shot with yeah. the watch in it is fantastic. Because that that is like almost Kubrick-esque in that he's planned every element of the shot. Both that's guys so cool. Both, I think that's probably one of the most favourite shots both in the Both guys film. are each shot and in focus. Yeah, and the yeah. hand just drops in. And just as it slows down, just as you're waiting for, oh my God, the gunshot's about to ring out, it starts again from an identical watch. It's and so I, cool, isn't it? It's just brilliantly done. You just think, oh, it's incredible. And that's, and what, that's why it's iconic. And whilst it's whilst we're waiting for it, and also it doesn't focus on the sort of build up to the shooting quite as long. It can get very long, and it's certainly very long in Once Upon a Time in the West, where we get the replay of what why they're there. Um, Eastwood takes him back his gun and just says, "There you are." Yeah, I think um, you know, he, he did, looks at his no, pocket. He gives, watch Eastwood gives uh, his gun to him because it's like a, a strap because it, it kind of gives him. He's got like a equal gun, so it kind of yeah. makes it like now. Now it's fair. That's true, because he only carried a little gun. The other thing I like is... Um, yeah, he, 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 I've lost my train of thought there. He hands him the gun. And while yeah, while we're waiting, whilst he sees... That was it. When Eastwood drops his hand into shot and we see the watch, mm. Van Cleef looks at the chain and he realises he's had it taken from him. The film has made virtually nothing of that watch so far. So we needed to be... T- we just needed to be told explicitly whose watch that was. Yeah, and we don't know until afterwards. Again, in Once we, Upon a Time in the West, you get a flashback to I mean, you, uh, Harmonica you know, as a child. You know, Van Cleef's got a pocket watch, but you don't know it's like it's the same one. Yeah, well, pocket watches were what yeah. they had if they had timepieces then. Yeah. So that that means nothing other than he's dressed like a gentleman and he's got a watch. So um, of course we to cut through it. He basically shoots Indio, kills him. And then explains the watch uh, belonged. The other watch belonged to his sister. Mm. Like family. Uh, like he, he actually says in the dub, he says it's his. He's her brother. Apparently, in the Spanish version, he says it's he's her father. Mm. Guess it doesn't really matter. No, um, no. Uh, it, it, work, get, it works no, either it, way. It kind of makes a bit more sense though, because that, that's kind of why he's so mm. he's so determined to you know to go there and sort it all um, out. What, everything. But what had happened I, is I find that to me, I think that makes a little bit more sense. I think so, and he's he basically we get the full replay of what happened. He shot the guy, he raped his wife, and while he was biddy raping her, she shot herself in the side. So she killed herself while he was doing what he was doing. Yeah, trying to escape probable rape. Um, and then we've got one left. We got one left to kill because he's loading them all onto the sort mm. of uh, truck to take them back in for the reward. Uh. The colonel said, because it's personal to the colonel, he said, you can keep the money, you earned it. And he's counting and he gets the 22 and he's like, that's not right. And then he realises there's someone behind him. So yeah. there's one left, that's groggy. Survived him. He injured, but he yeah. shoots him. He shouts and like, you alright? He's like, no, I'm the count was off. It's alright now. <laughs> it's alright now. I am now, he says. He doesn't make mm. anything of it. And he, The film is just so <laughs> subtle like that. And again, 
whilst I'm pretty sure I'll sit here in a couple of weeks' time and say I prefer the film we're talking about that night, there's a couple of things I appreciate in that we keep getting we keep getting a slight replay that builds up in detail, and that's fantastic in itself. Mm -hmm. But when we eventually get the full replay of who Harmonica is when we see him as a child, it actually slightly cuts away the tension because it just slows down the scene. We almost I'm glad we got it because it's being teased slowly all the way through the film. But at the same time, it would have slowed down this film if we'd had it here and we didn't. Mm. And he didn't say, oh, I've only got 22 men. There's one missing. He just went, 22. Are you okay? Bang. Yes, I am now. Um, yeah. So final thoughts from me. I, I just really, really like this film. I, I had a great time with it. I think there's much more here than there is in A Fistful of Dollars. I think what struck me this time was not everything is spoon-fed to you. It's not a difficult plot. There's more to it, and it's more involved than A Fistful of Dollars, but at the same time, I could describe the plot to you fairly quickly, I'm sure. But at the same time, it doesn't spoon-fed all the detail. It lets you pick it up itself. It's got a wry humour to it. At no point does it go, and here comes a joke, except that scene with the old guy. Um, it's got a very intelligent plot. It's Well, it's beautifully shot. It looks a bit more expensive than the first film, although it's still not vastly as such. I mean, there's still no blood in it or anything like that. Uh, but the thing I'd point to is the quality of the acting from everybody. There's no cheesiness in this, apart from the sort of comedy old man. You know, the guy, Cuchella or whatever you just said to me, he was called. When he's he's pleading for his life, it's only for a couple of seconds, but it's like... The comedy really prophet, mm. the old that's, dude. That's, that's, yeah, the comedy prophet. But the rest of them, they're, they're all, like, really convincing. And... Um, El Indio just totally, totally commands the screen. So you, you've effectively got three really high, high quality, charismatic leads, all distinct from each other. Well, as you mentioned high... at the top of the show as well, he's a lot more complex this time around as well. I mean, he's just, you know, he's generally kind of, in terms of all the Western genre, like especially this film, he's quite a memorable on-screen villain. But this time around, he's, there's a lot more kind of layers to him as well. There's more going on. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll never sympathise with him. He's a rapist. But oh, at God, the same no, he's time, not, yeah, nasty but at the work, same but... time. Is more that, that, that to happen in the act is not conflicting. You won't feel any different about him. But at the same time, that's a strangely traumatic thing to happen whilst you're doing something traumatizing. So um, it, it's it's an odd thing because he hangs on to it as well and uses it. So it, it so in a way he's like haunted by it, but yet he hangs on to it like it's like a it's it like it's um, sentimental to him. Like it like no this means something just defines me. But we don't, me and, we don't but we... know the backstory to this murder and rape at the start. Yeah. I mean, it's undoubtedly a rape because she's shown happily with her partner, husband, whatever that is at the start of the film. But we don't know the backstory. We don't know, did he have some attachment to this woman? And I certainly don't mean a relationship, but was he strangely in love with her from afar? I mean, we just don't know. And I don't suppose yeah. it's particularly... It, 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 it's shot almost like dream-like, doesn't it? it like... Like it's 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 so yeah, but it's 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 very sinister. But it it kind of has it does have like this kind of like just just dream like nostalgia it, to it as well. Is it scored, Charlie? Is this sequence scored? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember either. To be honest with you, do you know what it reminded me of? Which is scored, but strangely, yeah. I think of it as flashbacks where there aren't any scored. It made me think of Don't Look Now. 
Mm. Right. Now, that was a romantic love scene. That's different. But the strangely sort of fractured cut to it yeah. at the time. It reminded me of Don't Look Now. But yeah, that's it from me in terms of what I thought of it. Cast one from I haven't seen for ages. Oh my god, I need to add that onto the list. I watched it about this time. Well, I think I watched it on Maybe Halloween. Maybe like Fast. next next year for Halloween, we could do like. Isn't it? I don't know. A week of scary films. I, I always Isn't it on iPlayer? I'm sure it's on BBC iPlayer if it's. I think it probably is. Oh, I, bu- I bought a copy of it on Prime anyway. It's on the iPlayer, yeah. But I always double bill it with The Wicker Man. Mm, yeah, so what, what, what I would it was originally do, intended. I would do yes. it as I would do it. I, that's how I would do the show, though. I would do we do a we do we mm. do a one-off longer show, double billing the two of them. Yeah, maybe that's do that maybe next year. That'd be cool. Yeah, sure. All right. Or something. I know like my that, wife. Would have. So I, I introduced my wife to both of them, and she loved both. She actually preferred the Wicker Man, but she loved both. Oh wow. Yeah, but um, sorry. So what? What final thoughts from you guys in whatever order? Whoever would like to go next? Whilst I have a drink, excuse me. <coughs> I'm kind of towards the end of a cold, so I can only apologise for coughing and hacking all the way through this. All right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great film. Um, I kind of much prefer it to A Fistful of Dollars, and last time I saw The Good Band, The Ugly, I still preferred it, so I, I don't know how I'll feel after watching that next time. But, uh, yeah, it's just Eastwood and Van Cleef are both amazing. And uh, it's a really kind of fun relationship, kind of competitive between them. Um, Volante is amazing, and just a kind of layer of depth um, that the characters and, and the story has, really. And uh, it just it feels pretty perfect, really. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. To me, it's like. It, it it it's a film with like essentially three leads. It's it's almost like a precursor to Good Back the Ugly to ne- next week's mm. movie, uh, in in a way. Um, though, again, my memory of that isn't is gonna is gonna be particularly great. Other than I like, remember the start eyes... very into the film. I remember the whole setup of the sort of grift they're pulling at the start yeah. of the film, but I don't remember much else. But even though it's like a, it, you know, it's a big sweeping epic, and it it it's essentially it's a prequel because you know uh, Eastwood gets collects all his get up um, at the end uh, is when it um, but how how will that unfold we I'm never know sure. what year these are set in but we know we know with a, a good the bad and the ugly is set during the civil war so it has to be between 1861 and 65 um, I, I don't know with these films if they're if they're obje- if they're mm-hmm. clearly and objectively set afterwards I don't know I think there's a, there's a scene like really early on like there's a, a character reading a newspaper or something, and it's like 1870 something like. But right, like, so again, it's, it's, it's one of these things that can also it can kind of be timeless, but obviously yeah, with the next one obviously date, it's dated during the Civil War, um, but like it kind of plays fast and loose really. It's a similar sort of thing, you know. One of these films kind of set it's for me it's similar up there with like as we talked about the argument at, at the top of, at the top of the show like is. Is Joe is Manco the same character? Is he? Isn't he? Um, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit kind of mysterious, I think. Yeah, because that's, that's just my opinion, anyway. Some people, some people do talk about it with um, the good, the bad, and the ugly set before these two, the first two, because certainly because as well, it's kind of set during the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. So really, we should be. Um, Starting with the first film and the, the uh, <laughs> Yeah, because on the um the the 
the reds um the the, uh, the money they steal is confederate money i did notice that yeah in tonight's film i noticed yeah, when they yeah. when they opened the I, I noticed the word and i couldn't remember if it said confederate or confederacy it said one on the, one or the other on the money i noticed that yeah um well the confederacy didn't exist after the civil war so i'm confused no. i don't suppose it really matters who knows mm. yeah i mean i what in terms of like you know what came first well, I mean, yeah. if it was a prequel and you watched them the wrong way round, if you, when you got to a fistful of dollars, you would be like, "Is that it?" The scale of these films just slowly being cut back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I guess it really doesn't matter because because no. essentially Eastwood is basically playing the same character. Um, essentially, in all sense, but he is like. He is the same character, you know, whether like at what stage of his life, or you know, just like he's always this kind of drifter character who comes in and and does his thing. You know, he just sort of yeah. interacts with yeah. the. And again, there's there's not a lot of carryover, is there, from them? You know, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's it's like with Bond. You know, as the films went on, I mean, certainly in From Russia with Love, they mentioned Doctor No. And later, after Majesties, they do mention Tracy once or twice, but it sort of doesn't matter if it's no, the same so guy in the early films. Yeah, it, it sort of it matters, but it doesn't. If you want to see it as the same guy on his next mission, fine. If you want to see them all as completely separate, that's great. That is a beautiful baby, by the way. We well, Chris sent a picture of his daughter, <laughs> just said, and I've only, I've only, oh I've only just looked at looked at it. Yeah, yeah. This will sound like. It. This will sound like an insult to Chris because I've just said she's beautiful, and I don't mean it as an insult, but she looks like a mother. <laughs> that doesn't well, sound but, like. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, it, it's yeah. it's well for me, it's the mouth, but a lot of people have said I can see both, so I don't know. We'll we'll see. Yeah, uh, she's got your eyes, Chris. Definitely. Yeah, people said the eyes, nose. Yeah. She's got mine and ears yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's she's definitely she's definitely got a uh, mum's mouth. This belongs to her mum. So. But oh, so cute. Yeah. oh, the little face is so cute. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, I've really bad cute aggression now, so excuse me. <laughs> so what this is what we're looking at, listeners, is a four month old baby. July <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. This is she the, would be four months. This is the new Chris's baby four, cast. Welcome four, along. Four, four month at um oh, well, last time she was weighed she was just over eight pounds, so so oh, but, which is which is huge. She she was like sort of two point uh two point uh two and a half pounds when she uh when she was born, so you've been doing some growing. Yes, definitely. Well, I, I went to Romania at the end of June, and one of one of my wife's best friends had a da- had a daughter who turned eighteen while we were over there. We went to her eighteenth birthday, sort of do, and she was born weighing a pound. Oh, they genuinely yeah. thought she would not make it, and it was eighteen and now years she survived. ago she's as well. 18. Amazing. Yeah. she's eighteen and very very gifted as well. Yeah, you keep hearing stories like that, and it's just amazing, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. It really is, and it's like you know, well done, good on you. Carry on, carry on. Yeah. fantastic. It's just amazing. I mean, I've yeah, I've, I've never had any concerns, you know, really, because while she was born prem and was poorly, you know, given the extent of what she was, she, she was in hospital quite a long time. I don't think we even realised because no, well, I, th- I think I, we knew she was for a while, but like a few weeks, I'll probably get the timeline wrong, but for argument's sake, a few weeks in, Chris made some comment about going to the hospital to see her, and I was like, oh my god, she's not home yet. I didn't realise. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
But yeah, no, she yeah. she she did incredibly well. She was like, considering how poor she was, she was like maintainer and airway and everything. So it's all wonderful. I think so, with that sort of thing, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I imagine you take your lead from the doctors, and and if the doctors and nurses around you aren't expressing any great panic or fear, then you would say, well, okay, she's not. Yeah, this is, this I, is not ideal, I, but I it think, sounds like she'll be okay. I've, I, yeah, it's it's kind of odd though, but I've never I've went into it. Just like, I just assumed at the end of the day, she'll be all right. You know, not not saying there won't be any sort of issues along the way. There won't be like be like concerns, but like, do you know what I mean? But I always knew that, like, whatever happens, she'll be all right. I think I think because once we got over like a certain time, you know, like sort of after like twenty eight twenty eight weeks, her life expectancy goes like up really well. So uh, like, uh, I'll after what what's, what that I was like right okay I'm not I'm not going to be that concerned now because she'll be all right, come what may. And she is. So so uh, yeah so I, I I don't know why just I've always just assumed it. And never any doubts and she's not proven me wrong yet. So. Great. So I'm sure she'll go from strength to strength. Oh yes oh yes she'll be she. she She'll she'll do what she wants. She'll grow up. She'll do what she wants. <laughs> Lovely though this is. Final thoughts, back <laughs> Oh no, I'm I'm interested in hearing about. We talk about this as long about as about to be honest. We haven't we haven't uh, we haven't done Becca's final thoughts yet. Uh, I can't really add much to what's already been said. Um, yeah, which is from a couple of times. Um, didn't really remember it well the first time around. Unfortunately, I think I perhaps wasn't paying attention, and there's a, a lot of things going on at the time as well. Um, it is yeah, a film you have to concentrate for. It's yeah, not no, difficult, but you can, no, no, you can no. just yeah, it's drift not, past it's not, you. It's not that it's hard or difficult to follow anything no, like that. Just, it just, just can drift by you. No, it's yeah. just well, there's a lot going on. If it's, if it's kind of, it's, it's not... There are other films with more complex plots um, that run, run for longer and they're probably more boring and, and worse written. I'll, I'll, you wouldn't I'll, want I'll, to miss the detail, though, because you... No, really it's, it's, it's literally the devil. Is the devil. You really do have to pay attention. It's one of those things. And also... I'll, I'll tell you what's good about this, and this is kind of what, like, picking up what Becca's saying, is that... Yeah, like it, the details there, if yeah, it's there in the film, but you can just let it wash all over and just watch like the yeah, acting can, and, right. and, and the and the motifs, and you can, you, you, it doesn't matter. You can still like broadly get what's going on and just enjoy it for like the, the yeah the all the Western cliches that that it has and and the way it's done. This and, is kind of where the they came from as well. At the same time, this is you know yeah. a lot of those kind of scenes. And, and if you want to dig those, deeper, you, you know, can do. It's all there, you know. Sorry, Rebecca, I was sorry to interrupt, but yeah, that's all. No, that's pretty much the point I was going to make, actually, to be honest. Yeah, some of those things, you can, I mean, you can watch it and enjoy it for what it is, definitely. But then if you really watch it, you know, yeah. like, like you've done, and, and pick it all apart, definitely. And you can kind of, you can see where these, I mean, you can watch all these really early sort of like 40s, 50s, you know, indeed sort of where Indiana Jones came from, um, the kind of like boys' own adventures as well. I mean, you could argue that the seeds are kind of really sown in those. Um going back to those really early frontier stories but in terms of like the sort of classic western tropes that we know today um especially on the big screen kind of come from here really um but yeah it's one of those you do have to kind of really watch and pay attention to definitely to kind of pick up on really all the fine detail um but yeah no i sort of enjoyed this more second or third time viewing um probably until next week it'll probably be my my favorite of the series um but yeah, as I say, for a film that kind of really has three leads, and like 
in doing a bit of reading around this film as well, um, like Frank Leaf is kind of is known is more known for his like his western, especially kind of playing like villainous type characters as well. And it's really interesting to learn that perhaps he'd only kind of up until this point he'd only kind of done like bit parts here there on TV. Like he'd been an artist. Um, he travelled around quite a bit as well. Quite quite an interesting life. Um, and this film kind of really changed his career, really, which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, really enjoyed it, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to most iconic film next week. Sorry. What I'm missing most is knowing anything about this film at all. <laughs> um, I'm a bit clueless, really. I know, I know it's got that guy from Back to the Future 3 in it. Um, but I don't remember when they sort of got that super-powered train that went back to 1985. So <laughs> I, I was lost I was lost watching this. And, like, Sanchez didn't make an appearance, but, like, there was no Timothy Dalton. So... Help. Speaking of Toby Dalton, right? Did anyone like sort of surprised see him in the crown playing Stuart, like yeah, Pete Townsend? Yeah, he's Pete Townsend. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Toby Dalton playing playing Pete Townsend. Well, I've never seen Pete Townsend. No, Pete Townsend, yeah. no it's That'd uh, be amazing. Isn't it? I know. Um, particularly the scenes where he whips out his credit card and. Uh, <laughs> no, I um I I hadn't seen the crown. Uh, I think I watched a couple of episodes once and weren't in the mood, but my wife likes it. And she said, I'd happily watch it again. So I've just literally about two weeks ago, I'm not in any hurry with it because it's all right. It's yeah. very well made. And yeah, the, I think, the I think appeal the, of the series it, now, especially because it goes into like the 90s. I much. think it's the, very, the appeal of it is exactly that. It's less, it's less that it's anywhere that decent a drama or even that I'm that interested in the royal family. It's more the fact that it's a, a romp through the last 50 years of British history more than anything else. So I'm interested in it from that perspective, but I've only just finished the first series season. So they're on their original cast. The guy, Timothy Dalton's playing is still played by the guy from coupling. So yeah, he's fabulous, though. He is really good, definitely. But no, yeah, Dalton, Dalton's yet. appearance, I think, took us all I've by surprise. I've still got Matt Smith's Prince Philip in my version. And I, I, I had no idea. Who was it? Was it? Was it Aaron? He was. He was uh, like having a relationship with. Who? Like, uh, Margaret. Yeah, Margaret. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I had no idea he was like. I had no idea he was like potentially be a royal. Yeah, he was a divorcee. Not Pete Townsend though. It's not the same. No, but... no, it wasn't Pete. <laughs> That's yeah. a different one. Chris, no, no, it was it was Roger Daltrey. Read read some history. <laughs> read some history. Okay. No? No. Tim Dalton is Roger Daltrey in Princess Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a film we'd like to see. Mm, maybe not. Yeah. The gun barrel shot is is something else entirely. <laughs> believe it's, me. It's just in that one episode. And I don't know how they got a camera in there. If I'm honest. Well, I wouldn't like to know how, but no, he was just in that one episode, really, wasn't he? Because was, like when when they announced the the lineup for this new series, um, and Timothy Dalton just in one one episode. Oh, okay. He died before her. So I think, yeah. yeah, I think so. But he's really good in it actually, and he's still you know really charming, and um, it's quite interesting to look back and look back at some of his other roles actually as well, like outside of Bond as well. Um, especially because a few of us JBR lot have just returned from a jaunt to Vienna, so obviously a bit of Dalton love. Yeah. Well, I, I remember Roger Daltrey and McVicker, if that's helpful. Beautician and the Beast. Beautician and the Beast. The Beautician and the Beast with Fran Drescher. Yeah, with Fran, yeah. Fran, yeah, Fran Drescher from, um, we from never, Friends. We never oh my no, God. it sounded terrible till you said Fran Drescher. <laughs> Check it out, it's really good at it. This Russian kind of star kind of thing, or king or whatever. 
and um, Fran Drescher sort of goes over to live with him for some reason. I can't exactly remember why. Plot device, probably. And yeah. and, and she melts it, and and they and fall in love, and heart. she melts his heart, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly what it says on the tin. Hang on a minute. I'll look at this up. I don't even know if I've heard of it. Is, yeah, it's was like 90s, mid-90s, I would say. Yeah, I thought so. It's, it's, seriously, it's up there with um, Hot Fuzz as like one of his best <laughs> I think. It's cheesy in a bit enough, but it's so much fun. The, the, the thing is, though, you still look at it and think, like, yeah, it could still play Bond. <laughs> no, this is it. Well, this is a debate we're having on first JBR. Like, if he came back now, like maybe him and Bros, and Bros and if he sort of came back, if they said, "Oh, yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna follow in the footsteps of Logan and do like old Bond," you know, they, they probably could invite Bros and they could invite Dalton back for sure. So, yeah. Bros has had twenty years to learn a third expression. <laughs> Come up with another pain face. <laughs> President of the Eastern European country, Slovakia. All right, fake, All right. fake news in European countries. Largely negative reviews. The show sounds promising. <laughs> Is it a Disney film? I don't think so. No. No, I, I wonder if it would be on Disney Plus or somewhere. But it's it's no. really on like Amazon. No, it's Paramount. 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 Oh, there we go. Okay. It'll be on Paramount. Paramount Plus then probably. Came out February nineteen ninety seven. Oh. And off it, off a budget of sixteen million, it did eleven and a half. So yeah, it didn't do great. <laughs> it's a fun film. Ian McNeese is in it, the guy yes. from Doc Martin and Rome. Yep. Um, Patrick Malahide. Uh, Patrick Malahide. Um, oh wow. Becker, he's the banker in the at the start of um, the world is not enough. He's best yeah, known he as Ch- he's best known as Chisholm in Minder. The numbers are not on your side. Uh, yeah. That's actually not not a bad cast for us. Uh, any other I, any other Bond connections? Let's see who else is in this film. Yes, yeah, Vincent Chiavelli. Oh, yeah, Dr. Kaufman as well. Oh, yeah. I see all the Bond connections, look. Dr. Kaufman. I can't see his name there, actually. I believe you, he's in it, because you've seen oh, it, but I can't see oh, his name. Oh, on Wiki- oh yes, I can. I can, I can see it. Yeah. I can see it. As Jailer. Yes. Yes, okay. Um, no, I can't see anyone else who's been in a Bond film. Or who's been in Princess Margaret, for that matter. <laughs> Let's see, uh, Ian McNeese, who else we got? Uh, Ian McNeese obviously mm, sticks out. Yeah, I don't recognise anybody else. Michael Lerner, I know. Yeah. Mm, he looks familiar. I don't know what I've seen him in, though. Uh, well, he's been in loads and loads of things, but um, just to pick out things you'd have think or thought of, he, he was in Days of Future Past. And Godzilla. And the, Godzilla. The terrible Godzilla. Oh, he, really? Yeah, he's like the uh, the mayor. By terrible, I'm assuming we meet the, the fucking asshole from... Independence Day, what's he called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Michael Lerner. Yeah. All right. Okay. So. No, I don't recognise anybody else, unfortunately. I so, do so, 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 in summary, we, we like for a few dollars more. That's the show that we talked about, Timothy Dalton's on. Well. I know that name. No, all right. Okay. Don't know. All right. So, um, I'm still clueless, Beck. I'm minutes on from admitting that fact. Okay, yeah, we'll do some fun facts. Yeah, don't worry, Dave. I didn't step on. I didn't step on any of your, any of your fun facts. So it was alright. Well, I only had one or two. I just want, needed to mention the lawsuit and that and the town being uh, a new one. That was all. No, that's okay. No, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, the the like, town's amazing. The town is amazing because, like, uh, what we don't know now is inflation. Well, we 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 know in that we can type it into an inflation 
calculator and get a figure for today. Mm. But you don't know what things relatively cost. I mean, to give a silly example, my granddad years ago asked me what the cinema cost and I told him and he like went, <gasps> you know, like huge shock. And I said, he said it used to cost this. And I said, well, what did you earn at the time? And he told me. And I went, so what you're saying is cinema was 40 times more expensive? So <laughs> in your yeah, day. Yeah, if you're earning more, um, that's it. It's only 600,000. Uh, Bond's films at this point were costing multi millions. It's still, it doesn't feel a high budget film, but it feels no. so far on from the last film. Yeah, and like you, you kind of like cinema going habits have changed as well. I mean, obviously you still buy like concessions and stuff like that, but then like probably maybe it's like our well, maybe not our parents, maybe like our grandparents or their parents like generation. Um, you know, it was still probably maybe of the era of you know this is kind of this is where we came in, and you might get cartoons and a newsreel and and sort of forties, fifties, and that sort and sixties as well. You probably you probably get more for your money than you know. I've just looked up the just very quickly. I looked up the director of this film. Ken Quabba is best known for Sesame Street Presents Follow That Bird, <laughs> Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants, and he's just not that into you. It was written by one of the guys from The Abyss, one of the actors. Yeah. The one with the, one with the rat. Maybe we should do that next year as well. Pick a random film from an esteemed actor and be like, right, yeah. let's do it. So, sorry, factors. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like in we, we, we some of us had a great watch of um, the Rocketeer as well, and mm. we just—I mean, Dalton is, is legendary, but his accent in that film wanders here, there, and everywhere. I struggle to place it sometimes. I, my, um, my, yes. my, my, my favorite when he goes proper Gestapo when he goes like brains all over the cabin. <laughs> that's that's my favorite. <laughs> that's that's my favorite part. I have to that. watch that film again. It's so much fun. <laughs> But yeah, he does that because he obviously is playing sort of like an, an actor sort of in the film. But yeah, his accent it goes oh yeah, there and everywhere. It travels a lot. Um, but yeah, fun facts about this film. Um, fun fact number one: the British cinema release version was cut originally cut by the BBFC to shorten the beating scene um, and removing the flashback scene where multiple sister shoots herself. Um, apparently, these missing scenes were restored for feature home releases, um, but around twenty seconds were missing from a two thousand and five special edition DVD. Did you say they cut? Where the woman shot herself. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, basically, where, where she gets where she gets shot. That would that would make that film incomprehensible. Yeah. Just very inconfusing. But anyway, that that particular scene where she is shot um, was originally was originally chopped out by the BBFC. Is it just like a close up of the wound? Could be. You could have. I think so. I think shot. so. Yeah, maybe just like gory detail. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Rather than the actual kind of well, the actual like her being shot is probably just more like actually just detail of the wound, which is a bit gross. Um, but obviously the, this this footage was was restored for, for later versions. Um, and there are quite a few, I won't go into it because it's quite a long fun fact which you can read on IMDb, not by myself. Um, but the German theatrical version was actually cut by 10 minutes and was redubbed um, when it was re-released again in 1995. But 10 minutes, that's quite a long, that's quite a lot to be chopped out of it. I think so. Um, fun fact number two, Sergio Leone, whose name I still can't pronounce, um, wanted initially Henry Fonda for the role of Mortimer, um, but he declined. Then next in line was Charles Bronson, who also declined. And then next was Lee Marvin, who would actually he couldn't take up the role because he would he was signed up to make Cat Um And then next in line 
and who then was Lee Van Cleef offered the role, um, who actually hadn't acted very much. Um, and last kind of appearance in the Western was How the West Was Won in 1962. Um, turned out to be a bit of a career boost for him, um, having only played smaller roles in like film, TV, um, until maybe like the mid 60s. Um, he kind of fallen on hard times, um, drank a lot, etc., etc. Um, yeah, he actually made Van Cleef the co-star of this film, which was a, quite a surprise. Um, to Van Cleef and it proved to be like a, obviously one of his major big screen roles obviously now he's iconic and known for his kind of various villainous roles um, in sort of westerns and, and the like in the 60s and 70s um, fun fact number three same as last time same as the last film um, all this film's footage was shot silently um, without recording sound um, or sound effects dialogue things like that um, and then after they finished shooting um, Eastwood and Van Cleef returned to Italy um, to record their dialogue um, and to add sound effects, etc. Um, fun fact number four, there are a few crew member cameos in this film. Um, the whistling at the start before the main titles, I think, is the director. Um, and then the film's set designer, Carlo Simi, plays the El Paso bank manager, who's dubbed with a very English accent <laughs> and sounds a bit strange. Um, and fun fact number five, location shots took place largely in Spain, I think Madrid, doubling for White Rock, and in and around um, Andalusia. Um Grenada places like that, doubling for the Texas-Mexico border. Right. Um, and other locations as well. Um, but yeah, it's just my interesting fun facts that I thought were quite interesting. And I, I generally keep the number five because it's quite short. So rather than going on and on and on. So I figure stop at five. That's a nice number. Why not? Cool. Even uh, that's an odd good. number. Apologies. We're good. I can't wait to see what we, we get next week as well, because uh, like I say, that, that film's got so much sort of legend around it, particularly mm. particularly different cuts of it. Once Upon a Time in the West has got the same, you know, different cuts of it, and you're not sure when redubbings were done and who was who did what and when, and that could be, let's say, quite, quite interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, somewhere there is probably, like, there exists spread across the, across the galaxy, like, lots of different alternate cuts. I wonder if there's, like, a definitive edition um i suppose it's like the godfather you know when those sort of films that have got so many different versions edits cuts um what's another one that's like that uh blade runner that's got two or four different versions floating around yeah i mean at least with blade runner i don't particularly like the theatrical version some people do some people really do some people it's their favorite i i just find I'm amazed. It honestly sounds like Harrison Ford is falling asleep during it. Mm, it, it, yeah. it just sounds yeah, he's so bored. Through it, isn't he, it's almost like it's almost passive aggressive. It's almost like he's been asked to do the voiceover, doesn't want to, and he's he's keen that we know he didn't want to. That, that's pretty much what happened. Um, that, that's really how it plays. It's almost yeah, it's almost unprofessional even though he's quite laconic anyway. I, I actually but, don't mind it too much. But, I'm, but like, it, I'm, I'm one of the few... It does give it that gumption feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would like say I, that. It's claustrophobic. Yeah. And which which works in a way. Um but I didn't hate a it. lot of the film is claustrophobic, but when you take it away, the film breathes so much more. Oh, I completely agree. I watched the back to back one night because I used to have the final cut, but it, mm. I, I imported it with the five versions of the film. Yeah. So I watched mm. The final. I can't remember which way around I watched it. I have a feeling I watched the theatrical first. I'd already seen the final cut, or I'd already seen yeah. the director's cut, probably. Um, but I watched the. I watched it and then watched it again, and and I thought, well, that will prove if I prefer the final cut when it's a slowish film, and I've already seen it tonight. If I if I find the final cut enjoyable, then that will tell me that it's vastly superior, and it was. Yeah. 
But um, at least with that film, it's not necessarily a defence because you still get into the age-old argument of final cut and director's vision and writer's vision and studio meddling. You get there's endless debate to be had about that. But at least it was the first version out there. Do you know what I mean? At least yeah. when that version was released, it was the only version of Blade Runner out there. Um, whereas what you've had with a lot of these, Weinstein was famous for this. He'd buy some foreign film yeah, and then re-edit it so it made no fucking sense at all. Occasionally put some, he did it with things like Shaolin Soccer, which is like a comedy, but the original version of the film was completely different. And um, there's something very disrespectful of going. It's almost a bit. It's almost, and I maybe, I maybe I'm overregging it to say this, but there's almost something a bit xenophobic about it. There's almost an element oh, of, yeah. oh, it don't matter. It's just a foreign film. Yeah, because well, yeah, a lot of time changed the music and, and yeah, when when we because he did it to a lot of Jet Li similar films and stuff, and yeah. um, it kind of affected them the original versions being available like yeah. hero the uh the zang Yimou film yes that, um, would, that that was a very notable and, example actually mm, yeah. yeah that's true <clears throat> and there was certainly there's a high hero was famous because it was of such a notable example and it was a prestige picture in its own country yeah but there's so many examples of smaller purchases where you know he'd pick up a film that may be showing at toronto or sundance or something like that and just butcher the fucking thing and you just think don't buy it then yeah, um, yeah what's the point if you're gonna <clears throat> sorry what's the point if you're gonna treat it like that yeah and you know it's um Sorry. was it like it, in his way like oh i can make money from this if i make it in what would be more like sellable to, i think to it, market? A, a lot of yeah, the time yeah, yeah. a lot of the time he was short I, I, yes. I did that with quotation mark kind of thing like you know just and dubbing them as well yeah and you think well there's a fine line i mean i don't know if they were knowing what we know of his personality almost certainly not because he was a famous bully apart from everything else but it, there'd almost be some cover in defence for it if it was there was any sort of sense of agreement of we'll buy your picture, but this is not quite right for an American audience, for example. But none of that. He'd just take it, lock them out, and butcher it. So, yeah, that, that was it. So it is a shame, but at least we've got the full version of all these things now. You know, at least. So um, it was the same with it'll be the same with the other two Leone films we're, we're going to call the other two. The next two of Leone we're going to cover. Uh, certainly with both of those, I know that they were released far shorter in the United States. Um, it happened with Leone generally. It happened with Once Upon a Time in America, because mm. Once Upon a Time in America is such a long film. But then then it then it becomes a bit more of a grey area because you go well yeah I can understand you maybe don't want to put a four hour film in cinemas but at the same time why are you buying it why are you green lighting it why are you agreeing that final cut and then changing it anyway as for social media you can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter and you can find me at all the odd episodes on uh, well Podbean if you look for Do You Expect to Talk it's, uh, it should be on there but you can find out more on uh, uk. Find me at Films on Wax on Twitter. And you can find us on Twitter at X Factor Talk. Don't forget to rate us, review us, to like us and share us on your podcast of choice. Um, whichever platform you're on, um, 
please give us a glowing five star review it helps us to attract more listeners um it sort of tickles the algorithms a little bit um helps us to rise up in the rankings basically um you can find us on facebook do you expect us to talk on twitter at expect us to talk youtube do you expect us to talk um you can find us on apple podcasts spotify stitcher podbean podbay um whichever as i say whichever platform you happen to find us on if you want to email us expect us to talk at gmail.com Okay, we're. I probably need to update all of that. Really, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, It's it's kind of autopilot. I always listen to what you say, Becca, but that little bit at the end just like drifts over me because it's the same stuff every time. We're just telling people. Yeah, I just want to think. I don't even know what you said. Really, there's there's a lot going on on Twitter at the moment. A lot of people seem to be escaping for for the time being. We're going to stay there. but we're not yet on Macedon. We're not yet on Hive. We're not on I'm, other ones. I'm not that sure. I mean, I, I know, I know. Charlie is on Mastodon, for example, because we follow each other on there. But and I know he's used it because I've seen posts on there and articles he's shared and stuff. But at the same time, I think the majority of us, and I can't speak for anybody, we've got a Mastodon account just in case. I, I'm not intending to leave Twitter, but I do have a Mastodon account. But it's only that, like, if. I, I, I don't actually think he's going to screw it up that badly. I think no, just to see more, what happens. Just see what's we've got a backup, just like, in case. What's more, well, there is obviously the the nuke the nuclear option that it does become far more toxic. But what I'm actually the only worry I've got with him at the moment is that if he's made that many people redundant, is is the site is it running on fumes until it hits a problem? Do you know what I mean? We, yeah, I wonder. We think, at the moment, I've heard people things say things like, God, it's running fine and he's cut most of the staff. What were they doing all day? And you think, well, you don't know till you get an outage, do you? Well, yeah. No, that's exactly. it. Yeah, until um, you kind of lose those key people. You so think, oh, I've, God. I've got Mastodon for the day I go into Twitter and it's like, this might not be back up for a week or two. But at the moment, no, I'm still living on Twitter, although I have a Mastodon account. Um, yeah, anyway. I, personally, I haven't opened up one yet, and I'm still kind of. I mean, I do keep threatening to kind of to close close Twitter down, not in its entirety, just my little account, just my little corner. Um, but I, I rarely use it like I used to these days. It's kind of just kind of weaning off it really and kind of winding it down, perhaps. So, a lot of a lot of what Twitter becomes tonally will depend on the algorithm. Because yeah, really as, mu- as much as I have opinions, I don't need to bother voicing here about um, reactivating certain accounts. Um, whatever I think of that, how much it ends up actually bothering me is how the algorithm works. If they decide they're going to have offensive content, but effectively it's not going to appear in your feed unless you go searching it out, then fine. Let let there be this poisonous corner of the site. Uh, but we'll we'll keep a watching brief on that. Anyway, we are racing to the end of the Dollars Trilogy, which means Becca. Yes, do you expect the talk will return with the good, the bad, the ugly?